of that is me seeing and recognizing and seeing things in their lives and having difficult conversations with young people um, about what actually it looks like to live for Jesus around these issues. Um, and so I'm actually really excited about what we get to do in terms of looking at this stuff um, and things like that and being able to actually delve deeply because God does say things about this. God has got an opinion about some of these things. Um, and it's, it's so good for us to know that, for us to, to sit in light of who God is, to know that Jesus is over it all and in it all and that there is hope um, and there is light and there is truth to be, um, to be said of all of these things. So um, just before we kick off, um, I'll just explain a little bit about how these evenings are going to go and then I'll pray. Um, just to say that we're going to do gender, uh, kind of the whole topic of gender and transgender next week um, rather than two weeks time um, so that we've had a little switch with that. So it's going to be homosexuality in two weeks time, but we're doing the whole notion of gender and transgender next week. But what we're going to do is we are wanting this to be a, a, a a time of equipping, and so what we're going to do is we're going to break the kind of the sessions down into three sections. So it's going to be three sections of roughly 15 minutes. Um, it's probably going to work out that I'm going to have a slightly longer first section and then shorter, um, to you know, shorter two other sessions sort of thing. But that's roughly what's going to be. And then there's going to be time for discussion around the tables. We will put up some some questions on the screen, but actually feel free to have your own kind of discussions and conversations if you feel like that is going to be helpful. You should all have a booklet in front of you, um, and these are designed basically to give you the basic points so you're not furiously trying to scribble notes and, um, and kind of maybe miss something. Um, but also, we really wanted to do that because it also gives you the opportunity there. In the back two pages, there are resources to go away and to look at further because we're well aware that we won't necessarily cover everything in detail, okay? Um, in those question times kind of that we give, um, I'm going to be kind of floating around. So actually, if you're chatting about something and something was a bit unclear or you've got something burning that hasn't been said, if you just want to give a wave um, sort of thing, and I'll, I'm, I'm happy to come over in those times and, um, and answer things as well, okay? Shall we pray just before we start? Lord, thank you that you are God and King. Thank you that you are creator and sustainer of the universe. Lord, thank you that there is, Lord, nothing that surprises you. Lord, there is nothing, Lord, that you didn't see coming. Lord, there is no new things that we're going to come up with. Lord, there is a better way. Thank you, Lord, that you are the way. Jesus, you said you're the way, the truth, and the life. Lord, thank you that fullness of life is found in you. Thank you there is hope, Lord, and thank you, Lord, that there is, um, Lord, a light and a witness that we can give to this world of ours, Lord, um, for you, and Lord, that you'll save and move and do what only you can do. And so, Lord, would you equip us, Lord, would you fill us with your Holy Spirit that we may understand your word, Lord, and we pray that you would fill me, that I would, <laughs> Lord, teach your words and your words alone. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Okay, so... We are starting off with sex and pornography, okay? The reason that we're starting off with sex is because in many ways, these things that we are looking at come under the umbrella of sex, sexuality, how we view ourselves, what we view sex to be, okay? So we're, we're starting off with kind of the umbrella of sex because in order to kind of go deep into issues like pornography, homosexuality, gender, transgender, we need to understand what God's heart is for sex. And actually, in many ways, we can assume a lot about sex, and actually, it's really good to go and do a deep dive into what God is saying about sex, and as a result, kind of be able to, to respond from that place, okay? So, first of all, the reason why kind of sex is, is such a big issue in our culture um, is because of something that I heard this said, I think it was Andrew Wilson that said this, I'm not 100% sure though, so I'm not going to just say it's me quoting him, but basically, each age has, or each kind of period of history, has a god of the age, 
Okay, so it has a, as a thing in that age which the people of that time period see as supremely valuable, as something that they can't live without. And actually for us, it seems to be that sex is that thing. Okay, so I'm going to give you a couple of examples. For those of you that are kind of around enough to have really enjoyed the TV show Friends or have to watch the TV show Friends, there is a scene in one of those episodes as they're sitting around in the cafe where they're having this conversation. And this conversation goes along the lines of, what would you give up, food or sex? Okay, and inevitably the girls say sex. Sorry, yeah, the girls say sex and the men say food. And then you get Joey, who's the character who those are his two favorite things in his life, and they ask him, and he goes, food, sex, food, sex. I want girls on bread. And he kind of like, we, you kind of get that, that situation. And actually, it's, it's, it's an important thing to highlight just because that is a conversation of actually the importance of sex. That actually people were saying, oh, no, I'd go without food. Like, I'd starve. I'd rather starve than have sex in my life. I was, had the privilege of doing some training um, uh, a few weeks ago, um, kind of along the idea of LGBTQ um, sort of thing with some, with some youth leaders from Spring Harvest Holidays. And as part of that, we had kind of this question session, and one of the guys turned around to me and he said, he said why, why do I, as a straight man, have the privilege of having sex whilst those who, don't, who, who are gay, which is something that Owen is going to cover in much more detail in a couple of weeks, don't? And actually, there is an undercurrent in actually a lot of people's mindset that to not have sex or to say that someone shouldn't have sex is to condemn them to a life of misery and unhappiness, that they are missing something significant in their lives that actually, that fullness of life, there has got to have sex involved in it, okay? And that is a misconception, and we're starting to see that, and actually, we see that in stuff like, so if you, uh, again, around enough to have watched the 40-year-old virgin with Steve Carell, okay? Whole notion of this guy spent his whole life doing really weird, boring things because he's got nothing to do in his free time because he's not having sex, which is a ridiculous concept when you lay it out, but actually there was a cultural thing that said this was really funny, that someone could have got... It's funny that someone could have got to 40 years, years old without having sex, and they wanted to. That, that was a, that, that's a, a hilarious concept that was put forward as a film idea. And a lot of where our culture kind of sits where it does now with regards to opinions about sex and sexuality is, is as a result of kind of the sexual revolution of the 1960s, okay? That we are kind of living as a product of that and kind of the way, in our, the way that our culture views sex is shaped by that situation, okay? Because the whole notion of that is that the, it was about the sexual revolution was about liberating sex, liberating sexuality from the, from the way that it had been bound up in marriage and between a man and a woman, and instead it was about free love, okay? Freely giving love, or sex, really, to as many people, whoever you wanted, as long as it was between, it was between two consenting adults, like, we're all good, it's all gravy, everything goes. So sex, then, from a Christian worldview, the worldview that we would hold if we looked into the Bible, is actually seemed to be rigid, outdated, restrictive, and in the worst cases, dangerous, that it is dangerous to restrict someone's sexuality to what the Bible defines sex to be as, okay? Sex also has stopped being talked in spiritual terms, okay? So sex is no longer a mystery. Sex is no longer beautiful. Sex is a physical act, and that's it. So again, I'm, I'm quoting a lot of films here because media portrays culture, okay? So media and what is being put forward portrays culture, or 
rather it leads culture into where the media is going, okay? So there's a film called Friends with Benefits. As you can imagine by the title, that entire film is about friends who have sex, who actually fall in love and end up getting together. But the whole, they have this conversation where they're not attracted to each other, they don't want to date, but they don't want to bother with kind of getting into a relationship. And so they say, oh, I wish we could just, sex is just like playing tennis. I wish we could just play tennis. And that's exactly what they end up doing without the tennis part. Um, and the point being that actually it's a physical act. There is absolutely nothing more to sex than a physical act between two people. Okay? Or not necessarily between two people, as we'll look at a little bit later. However, this is something that I'm, I'm, I'm riffing a lot off of uh, some talks that Andrew Wilson did at New Day. There's links to them in your booklets. I would recommend you go and read them. You listen to them, sorry, um, in detail because they were fantastic and he did a much better job than me at explaining this. But he, does, he says that actually the problem isn't through the sexual revolution, isn't that we have made sex broader, we've ma made sex wider, we've made it bigger. The problem, he says, and the reason why there's so much pain in with sex and why sex is becoming such a, a big issue and is not satisfying is because we've actually made it smaller. So rather than the sexual revolution going and making it this huge sex being, this huge broad thing which brings us freedom and life and liberty, actually we've made sex into really small into just a physical act. And as a result of making it small, kind of we've lost all of the meaning of it and we've lost all the purpose of it. Because what sex is actually about is God and creation and his relationship with us. So if we go to Genesis 1, if you have your Bible and you want to turn there, you can. It isn't essential because I'm going to talk through it as we go, but you can do that. So in Genesis 1, we have the creation account. And if we look at the creation account, we notice that there are some things that happen in the creation account. Okay, And the, the first thing that we notice is that as God creates... The way that he creates is he creates distinction, okay? He separates things. There is this and there is that. And the second thing we notice is that as he creates, he creates those things in complementary pairs. That God's creation is about distinction in complementary pairs. That there is a deliberate act in creation for that. And those complementary pairs are male and female. Now, obviously, it doesn't read that kind of as we read kind of the whole idea of the sun and the moon and things, but actually, that's a fault of the English language. But actually, the vast majority of the languages in the world, particularly Hebrew, which is what Genesis was written in, it is a, known as a Romance language, which means that their nouns for describing things have a male and a female. So, when we read about these distinctions in complementary pairs, in Hebrew, we read about, first of all, God separating heaven and earth, masculine and feminine, light and darkness, masculine and feminine. We read about the waters above and the waters below, which are masculine and feminine, land and sea, sun and moon, fish and birds, all the royal going down as masculine and feminine, masculine and feminine, until we get to the kind of the, the pinnacle of creation in Adam and Eve, masculine and feminine. And the story is supposed to read that as you go through this creation account, as you see these distinctions between male and female, complementary pairs, by the time you go to Adam and Eve, you're meant to get really excited and go, these guys are meant to be together. These guys are meant to be together. They are designed and created to be together because you see these pairs coming all the way down through creation to the pinnacle, which is those who are made in the image of God. 
And as they are, as they're made, and particularly with Adam and Eve being the pinnacle of creation, the thing which all of this seems to be building up to, we read in Genesis 2 that they're married and they become one flesh. Everything else is still distinct. The sun, the moon, the fish, the birds, the land, the sea, everything else is still distinct. There is a distinction. But between man and woman, between male and female, there is no longer a distinction in the same way. The two have become one flesh. And actually, this reality is supposed to point towards something far greater than just their physical union. The way this is supposed to work, the way we're supposed to see this as we read it, if we were to read it with this lens, is actually what marriage is and what sex in marriage actually is about, is about the union of heaven and earth. That marriage and sex in marriage is about the union of heaven and earth. Because God creates, and the first thing he creates, the first distinction he makes, is heaven and earth. And then he goes through this process of making all of these complementary pairs until we get one pair that unites. And the point is, the big picture is being mirrored and imaged through male and female. That as male and female come together in sexual union, it is pointed towards the reality that one day, heaven and earth will be completely united. And actually, we see these instances all through Scripture of this kind of being the case. So we see these intersections between heaven and earth. So we see that in the tabernacle. We see that in all these different places. Heaven meeting earth. But they're not united. They're not one. And it's this reason that we see heaven come into earth in Revelation, and it's described as a wedding ceremony. That as heaven comes to earth in Revelation, it is as a bride coming down Sorry, a husband coming down for a bride. The point is, hey, it's happened, the union of heaven and earth. So when Jesus talks about there being no more sex in the new creation, the purpose of that is because the thing which sex was pointing towards has now been fulfilled. Heaven and earth are united. The thing which it was always about has been accomplished. So, The Christian view of sex is not small, it's not stuffy, it's huge. We have not gone, we're going to take sex and we're going to wrestle it into this rigid, prudish thing that we don't want anyone to kind of move from. We're saying sex is so much bigger than a physical act. Sex is about cosmic Union. It's about the thing that we long for in the deepest part of our hearts, heaven and earth being together, united as one, that we look to in Jesus coming together. And this is why, for the Christian, the view of sex is between a man and a woman in marriage. It's not because we look at it as a physical act and go, these parts fit together. It's because we look at it and we go, this is about God, this is about heaven and earth coming together in union. And so the only place this is properly reflected is in marriage. And to take it away from that is to start messing with it and shaping and marring what God has created it to be. Because we as humans are created first and foremost as image bearers, representing and imaging God on this earth. And the Bible consistently teaches that the only way to live in the fullness of life is according to God's design. So sex in marriage is a reflection, a signpost towards a much greater, much more spectacular, much more joyful, and dare I say pleasurable 
union, that of heaven and earth. So an analogy that I've heard recently through kind of there's a King's Arms, there's a church in Bedford are doing a series called Love Matters at the minute. It's a fantastic series on sex and sexuality. I'd recommend you to listen to it. But one of their analogies they keep on coming back to now is they say fire is awesome if it's in the fireplace. Fire outside the fireplace is terrifying and bad. Okay? And that's a really good example. It's a really good way of framing kind of what we're saying here. Sex is awesome. Sex is a gift of God, supposed to image and reflect him. But sex outside of marriage, outside, fire outside of the fireplace, it's bad, it's dangerous, it gets out of control. It's, it's not fit for the purpose which it was created for. Okay, we're going to have our first break there. There's going to be some questions that are going to come up on the screen. So in your tables, feel free to talk about these questions um, or feel free to chat a little bit more around it. This is just the start. We're going to get into some more practical application-y stuff, okay, in the next couple of sessions, okay? Okay, if we can just start bringing conversations to a close. That'd be great. Obviously, please do feel free to continue these conversations at other points um, with people who have been here, or maybe if there's some people who aren't here who um, you, you, know, you, you want to have that conversation with, please do feel free to do that, not just limit it to this time that we have available to us. Um, what we want to do kind of in this second bit is kind of get a little bit more practical, get a little bit more along, not in terms of sex and pornography, because that sounds weird. <laughs> just heard what I said after Sai's comment, it's all going terribly wrong. What I mean is... Um, kind of apply it a bit more to how we act and react around the idea of, of sex and conversations about sex and why kind of our view differs from that of other people. And it's worth noting before we go on that actually Jesus affirms this view of sex, okay, between one man and one woman in a marriage, okay? So in, in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 to 6, Jesus says, he answered in a question about divorce, he says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Okay, so Jesus is affirming this. It's always worth saying that, isn't it? You know, when we, when we are talking about kind of these, these big, broad concepts, how they apply to us as Christians, it's important to know where Jesus stands on it. And Jesus affirmed that. He affirmed the Genesis 1, Genesis 2 reality of sex within marriage, okay? Now, that is in a wider conversation about divorce, but the whole point of the one flesh is about sex and sexual union, okay? So Jesus is affirming that sexual union is between one man and one woman in a marriage relationship. And it's worth us knowing that because actually sometimes the accusation is leveled against Christians that Jesus doesn't really talk about sex and Jesus doesn't really talk about homosexuality and Jesus doesn't really talk about kind of these things that he never really mentions it, which isn't true. But actually it's worth knowing that actually Jesus talks about this and he affirms exactly what was the created order in the first place. He doesn't differ from it. He doesn't move on from it. He stays true to what God has said is good, okay, in that. 
So what we'd like to talk about and go into detail is the idea is the church's view of sex. And one of the reasons why this is actually quite important to go into is because much of the conversation about sex in the church has been very reactionary. Okay? So actually, what we have often done is we have talked about sex when something within sex, something within the Christian ethic of sex, has been challenged. Okay? So you'll know that when kind of the whole topic of, kind of gay marriage was about, homosexuality was spoken about a lot in the church. And actually, as we go further and further back, a lot of the conversation in and around sex has been based upon people are pushing against our view, we must defend our view, and therefore a lot of the positions that we have taken, a lot of the things that we've said have been the result of being defensive rather than being kind of proactive about what actually, there is a Christian view of sex, there is a biblical view of sex, God has said it is good, God created it, Let's, there is a view of sex here, there is a whole theology about sex that actually that God has, that God created, that actually we can know, that's not just, we're not just defending sex against all these different things. We're not just having to constantly kind of man the barricades against things that are coming at us, actually God has always spoken about sex, God created sex, and there is, there is a place that we need to come from that's not just a place of defense. There's a place that we need to know and to live in that's not just a place of, well, we can't do that, and we can't do that, and we can't do that, and people shouldn't do that, okay? And typically, when it comes to the more controversial topics, we, we have one of two responses, okay? And I nicked this from a book that was talking about transgender, but actually, it's very true, and I found it true across the board. Across the board. We have two reactions. We either go, yuck, or we go, yes. Okay, like generally, within us, there is going to be something of one of those two reactions. And if your reaction is yuck, typically, that's because you're older. Generally. And that's not a criticism in any way, shape, or form. But older people, when it comes around the nation of sex and kind of some of these big things, they're tip- typically, there is an age kind of break where if people are older, they typically, they typically go more towards the yuck. And actually, it's worth knowing because younger people go towards the yes. And actually, I'm not saying that either are good. Okay? And we need to respond in different ways to both of those reactions. And many of us, we're going to have a combination of both. But actually, typically, you're going to lean more towards one than towards the other. And it's worth knowing where you lean because that will impact your results. One of the terrible things about my, me and my personality is I cannot hide things on my face. Okay? And it's necessary for me to know this because it's got me into serious trouble in certain contexts, okay? So my brother-in-law and, no, and my sister-in-law were around our house a few years ago and they were, they was, they were t- talking about baby names. It was a bit of fun. And my brother-in-law came out with, he would really like to name his kid Axel. And kind of my face immediately went, um, without me even realizing that my face is contorted into this grimace of what on earth. Um, and he kind of just, they made the comment of you can't do that, make that face every single time that you, you know, you see your nephew or whatever. Um, and I didn't realize until that point that my face was making that face. Um, but the, the reason why it's important for us to know is because actually we will lean towards one of these two responses. And actually as we're going to see, neither of those two responses are actually what God calls us to be. They're not the responses that God calls us to do. And so we need to know whether we're someone who is much more inclined because of age or because of perspective or anything to go, yes, or to go, look. And we need to know where we sit on that because actually neither of those responses are in the way that Jesus tells us to respond. So the yuck 
will come from the notion that actually the behavior or the thing being said or represented or spoken about or even done in front of you is wrong, okay? The behavior is wrong. And what we have to see is that Jesus doesn't react like this. And actually, Jesus, the accusation leveled against Jesus is this guy hangs around with tax collectors and sinners. The accusation leveled against Jesus is not that he's sitting there going, it's disgusting, but actually that he's there in the mess with the people who are making all the religious people go yuck. And actually, they're sitting and they're eating and they're spending time, he's spending time with them. And he is confronting sin. We're going to get to that. He, he does confront sin consistently, repetitively. He doesn't shy away from it. But his place is amongst the people. And so when we talk about, actually, we have a Christian ethic of sex. And our view of sex is that it's far greater than just a physical act between two people. And the place where it is best and is best for human flourishing is between a man and a woman in marriage. Doesn't mean that we go, so all other people go away. I don't want to hear about your sex lives. I don't, want to, I don't want to engage with you on this topic. We do not respond yuck, and it can't show on our faces. And actually, the judgment that actually we can show is irrepresentative of Jesus. It doesn't represent Jesus at all. So Matt Chandler, who's a preacher in America, I'm a huge fanboy, so if you've heard me preach before, you will know I've, I speak about him quite a bit. But the whole note, he tells this story where they had this incredible ministry where actually some of their women in their church were actually reaching out and engaging with women who were strippers. And actually, by God's grace, they saw some of these girls saved. They saw them saved. And so they came along with their friends to the church and they dressed like strippers because that's all they'd known. And you can imagine the reactions in a Southern Baptist church. And actually, Matt had a really interesting response in terms of he was going, all they've ever known is this. This is who they are. We are having conversations with them about appropriateness and modesty. Why don't you get your lust under control? And it's a different perspective. Actually, to sit with Jesus, to be like Jesus, to be represent Jesus to these people who've got a different sexual ethic than us, isn't to go yuck, isn't to run, but is to confront sin. Course it is to say that there is a way that leads to life and there's a way that leads to death, and the way that you are walking does not lead to life. But there's also a sense of going, but I love you and I'm with you and I'm for you, I'm going to sit with you, I'm going to eat with you, I want you around my table. And it's, it, there is this context for those who don't know Christ. And after what we have to be careful of is that if we respond from a place of yuck, we're doing so out of a place of moral superiority. The place of judgment on others only comes from thinking that you're better, or you know better. There isn't another place that judgment comes, okay? And that results in shame, and that results in being trapped, and it doesn't result in freedom or liberty or life, which is what Jesus came to bring. So if you have a yuck reaction to those who are in sexual sin, it will often lead to them hiding it. And the likelihood is, friends, that when we've got people coming in, if people are hearing about Jesus for the first time, if we're inviting friends to church, if we're even inviting Christians to church because of the culture that we live in, if they're walking through the doors of our churches, they have got some kind of sexual sin in their past. They are probably likely to have some form of sexual sin still going on in their lives. We just need to know that because of the culture we live in, because of the reality of where we are, there is going to be some form of sexual sin either in their past or in their present and that if we, are to, if we are judging and treating that as something to be ashamed of, then they will hide it and will not get free. 
And so we need to be a place of grace and love and compassion in our churches, not so that they can, we, we tolerate everything that they do, but so that they know the love of Jesus who sets them free, that there is a way that leads to life, and that life is found when it comes to sex between a man and a woman in marriage. And we can do both. They're not mutually exclusive. So what's helpful to bear in mind in this is that sexual sin is not the unforgivable sin. And you know, I was talking about how often a lot of our sexual ethic comes from a reaction. Often the most dirty sin that we can think of is sexual. Because actually a lot of our reaction has been placing shame on sexual sin. If I just read to you now, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, we'll look at the list. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such was some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. There's a whole list who do not inherit the kingdom of God through their actions. There's another list that talks about greed. But no one sees greedy as being dirty in our culture. And so when people come through the doors and we put so much shame on a certain sin, we're not doing according to what God has said. We're not living according to biblical truth. And actually, we need to really watch the yuck factor in our response to sex and to sexual sin. Because sex is great. God has given it. There is a purpose for sex. But to have sinned sexually is not to have committed the unforgivable sin. And it is not to have denied yourself from a life of fullness in Jesus. And people need to know that and be set free from that. And, I, <laughs> and we sit underneath that, don't we? That we once were that but we were washed, we were sanctified, we've been justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that we've been made right, that we've been washed, that we're becoming like Jesus. So it doesn't matter what we've got in our past because Jesus has set us free from that and we're walking in it. And that is the good news that everyone needs to hear. No matter where you're coming from, no matter if you're sitting in this room this evening and you, there is sexual sin in your past that you've never admitted to anyone, but actually you need to know that you can be set free from that. Because you have been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Okay, moving much more quickly on. Yes is typically the response of the younger generation. And the reason for that is because that is the air the younger generation breathes. Okay? Everything's fine, everything goes, everything's gravy, as long as it doesn't hurt someone but we don't tell you what hurting someone looks like, okay? So yes is the typical response. For the vast majority of younger people, not just young people, the younger kind of side of things, the vast majority of, I am in, I'm 25, okay, just about to become 26, and I feel this pull a lot. So when it comes to people's behaviors that the Bible disagrees with, I don't predominantly go straight to yuck. I feel a pull in my heart to go, yeah, okay, I want you to be happy. If this is going to make you happy, this is... I don't go, actually, this isn't going to make you happy. You need to stop this. I, do, I don't naturally go there. 
And that is an age thing, because that's what I grew up with. That's what I was taught in school. That's what I consumed in media and films and TV shows and music. That's what I've grown up with, okay? So there, there is a younger thing in that. But it's not just a younger thing because of the culture that we live in. <clears throat> the problem with this is that sexual sin is sin. It does not lead to life. It will not make people ultimately happy to live outside of what God has said is good in sex, okay? And actually, the Bible does put a different category on sexual sin. Now, that's not saying it's worse. I've just done a whole lot of words, a whole lot of work of trying to say that it's not worse, okay? So I'm not undoing everything I've just done. But there is a certain category that God places on this. So again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, this is verses 13 to 19. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. For he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Okay? Both are true. Sexual sin is is within the bounds of sin against God. It is not the unforgivable sin. It is not the only sin that people need to get right in their lives. It's not the only danger of sin in people's lives. However, there is a category where us as image bearers of God, when we sexually sin, we sin with our bodies, and we are misrepresenting the image of God in that. So it's not just, yeah, as long as it makes you happy, anything goes. As long as you're not hurting anyone, anything goes. Because actually... That's not true because it won't make you happy and it is not leading to life. It's not leading to fullness of life. So we need to talk about sex in a different way as a church. We need to talk about sex in a different way with our kids. We need to marvel at God's glorious design in sex and how that is for his glory and our good. But we should also be vulnerable. We should also be able to acknowledge our sexual sin and not be afraid that it's going to mean that we are a lower class of Christian or we're shunned by our friends and family in the church. We should be able to bring it to God who shows us grace, who shows us mercy, who gives us forgiveness, no matter what's in our past. Christians should enjoy sex if we are married. And Christians who aren't married should still be able to celebrate sex If you are single, you should be able to celebrate sex because of what it represents. We need to have a different view of that. I was going to say that actually sex is actually a really beautiful thing, a great thing, and I was going to read you quotes from Songs of Solomon, which potentially would have made you blush, all about climbing off of trees and grasping boobs. Um, But I won't. It's a genuine thing. It's in the Bible. I can even quote you the passage. Um, Okay? I'm not going to do that because actually it's not necessarily helpful to the conversation. But the whole notion is that God created sex. He created it for enjoyment within marriage. It's not just a thing that's allowed or permitted to be enjoyed and celebrated and rejoiced in. Okay? So let's use the early analogy. When fire is in the fireplace, we really appreciate it. Yeah? If anyone has a fireplace where they have real fire or a log burner where they have real fire, you know that you can really appreciate it. It's not a... It's not 
pretend fire on the TV, which is what I have to represent it because I don't have a real fire. It's not, you know, it's, it's not a wildfire. It's not, it's you really appreciate it. And that when sex is in its proper place, you really appreciate it. You enjoy it and you celebrate it. Okay? Right. I'm going to have another 15 minutes. I've got some questions coming up and then we're going to come back and talk about pornography. Okay. If we could start drawing our conversations to some form of conclusion that would be great fantastic I hope, I hope that conversation was helpful I hope you're able to start and get into some um, kind of details and have some good discussions about that, I hope this is an ongoing conversation for us um, I want it. I, I really do hope it is. I hope it's something that we are thinking about and thinking about as we're discussing with people, um, as we're thinking about inviting people to church, as we're in people's lives. I hope, I hope these are some things that we can continue through um, as concepts. Okay, our final little bit this evening is on pornography. Now, this probably could have done with a whole evening in and of itself. Um, so we are not, we're not going to do a whistle-stop tour, but we are going to do an overview. Okay, um, so I think the easiest thing that I can do is start off with a definition. Um, this definition is from the Oxford Dictionary. There is probably a much less complicated definition, but it's useful to have something that kind of incorporates everything. Okay, so pornography is the printed, verbal, or written material containing the explicit description or display of sexual organs or activity intended to stimulate sexual excitement. I'm not going to repeat it because there's a lot of long words in it. Basically, the vast majority of what we see on media and television and in huge amounts of things, okay, porn pornography used to be dad's playboys underneath his bed. Okay, and actually, in a lot of the studies that you read about pornography, actually, there is a massive comparison between why porno pornography was and what it has come to. Okay, and that's going to be part of our kind of discussion in this bit. We mentioned at the beginning about how sex was like the god of our age. And actually, one of the key ways that we can see that is through the prevalence and acceptance of pornography in our culture as pointing towards that reality. Okay? The amount that there is, the way that it is accepted. Okay? So a couple of stories. I imagine you've got very similar stories. I went a few years ago to the Millennium Stadium which is the Welsh Rugby Gowns, or it's not called the Millennium Stadium anymore, Principality Stadium. It was the Millennium Stadium when I was there, to watch some rugby, and we were literally at the top. So the players were like dots, um, kind of on the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on the field. But we were sitting there, we were having a really good time watching the rugby, and literally on the screen like in front of us, it was a pretty decent game of rugby as well, the guy had got bored, pulled his phone out, and was watching pornography with all of his mates around him, with us behind him. None of his mates were bothered, you know, some of them like looking in and stuff and then just going back to watching the game. And I was like, are you kidding? Like, that's not a legit thing, surely. Surely you should be embarrassed by that. There's no embarrassment. Do you know there have been stories and news stories where parents have complained to air hostesses because people have sat and watched pornography on planes with children next to them. This is on train. This is a thing that is everywhere. Um, I was debating whether or not to share this, but I think it helps kind of show some of the, the prevalence of it. So this week, I'm, admittedly, I'm not great with technology, 
But this week, um, kind of, I've got, I've got an Instagram account, and I looked on, and on my Instagram account, I saw for the first time, didn't realize I had it, um, that I had some message requests. Okay, so basically, for those of you who don't have Instagram, you have friends or people that follow you, and then people who don't follow you have to request to follow you, and if they want to send you a private message, they have to request it rather than just sending you something. So I was like, oh, I've got some message requests. That's probably people who know me that are trying to get in contact. I looked at it and immediately had to give my phone to Hannah because the three messages that I'd received were three people with sexually explicit photos as their profile pictures. Now, it normally isn't actually real people. Normally what it is is it's actually people who are lifting pornographic pictures off the internet, pretending to be people, getting people to send sexually explicit images of themselves, and then blackmailing them. Okay, that's a, that's a, that's a common thing now over social media. But for me, in one week, this was one week, in one week, I'd received three messages from people who were seeking to, who were sending either, I didn't actually see it, Hannah told me, sexually explicit images, or were seeking to get me to send them on Instagram. Okay, it is massively prevalent. It is so normalized across society. And it's very widely accepted. So we live in what is sometimes called a pornified culture meaning that porn is everywhere, okay? So the idea of sexual, sexually explicit things, sexual organs on display, sexual activity on display, something to stimulate sexual excitement, whether that is in TV shows, movies, music videos, and above all, the internet, right? The internet and social media are the biggest pornified places in our culture, and we are spending more and more time on the internet and on social media. So remember before I talked about how there's there all this tons of scientific studies that are being done around the impact of pornography, and they're drawing this contrast between dad's playboys underneath his bed and between where we are now and how we got there. And the answer to that every single time is the internet. The internet is where we is how we've got there. Because it is now pornography is now accessible instantaneously. And there is a lot of it. So I think probably the easiest way to address it is to show um, kind of the results of some of the studies and to just give you some statistics, okay? So they're going to come up on the screen, but I'm just going to read them anyway. So here are the stats. This is done through scientific studies and research. One in four searches on the internet are for sex-related things. A quarter of internet searches. 30% of all data on the internet is pornography. 75% of all porn consumed is on a smartphone. A third of the people watching porn are women. Okay? It is not just a male issue. Typically, more and more and more women are using this. And it's not up there, but actually the studies show that it's the women who are actually searching for the more hardcore, the more sexually deviant things on pornographic sites. 88% of pornographic scenes depict sexual aggression or violence. Friends, we live in a Me Too culture. For those of you who don't know what that is, there's a hashtag that has gone on social media called Me Too, which is meant to be about solidarity between victims of sexual abuse and sexual violence. And we're talking about where does, this, where does it come from where men are seeing this as acceptable? When 88% of pornography depicts sexual aggression or violence, it's not really a no-brainer. It's not really difficult to figure out, is it? The average age for viewing, viewing pornography for the first time is estimated to be 11 years old. 
it is likely that that age is significantly lower now. And the reason why that is likely is because kids at younger and younger and younger ages are getting access to smartphones and tablets and the internet, and therefore pornography. It is estimated that 90% of children between the ages of 8 and 16 have seen pornography online. 90%. One study found that 70% of the kids that they asked had accidentally encountered porn whilst doing research for homework. 70% of the kids that they spoke to. And there are direct links, and when I say direct links, we're talking about funding, we're talking about people who have been rescued out of sex trafficking. There are direct links between pornography and sex trafficking. I read a study, I heard of a study where every single victim of sex trafficking that was rescued by this one organization when interviewed said they had been forced to do porn pornography of some sort. There is no way of knowing which ones are real and which ones are forced. There is no way. Okay? Now, there are, on pornographic websites, options to see, in inverted commas, rape videos and things like that. Now, the websites claim that they're staged. There is no way of knowing, and there is an increasing number of ex-porn stars, ex-porn actors and actresses, that say that those things aren't staged. Okay? When it's laid out in black and white, it's harrowing. I hate talking about this. I hate it because I hate having to do research about it. Scientists, psychologists, and politicians are just starting to get wise to how much of a profound and negative impact that porn is having on our society, and especially our children. Okay, they're just starting to wise up to this. There is a new law that's supposed to be coming through where you have to confirm your age as over 18 on pornographic sites. It's not yet come through, but it's supposed to be coming through in the UK. If it comes through in the UK, it will be one of the most significant steps towards protecting our children. So I'm hoping and please join me in praying that that comes through. In some states in America, and actually in other countries now, porn is being declared a national health crisis because of the impact that it is having. Friends, porn is a perversion of God's design and plan for sex. Rather than being about unity and love and the glory of God, porn is, encourages self-satisfaction, disconnection, and sin. Part of the way that porn is advertised is a spicing up your love life. Okay? Porn is sold to us with these things, spicing up your love life, a normal and natural part of growing up, a part of a healthy sexual appetite. It's fun. It's a way of having sex without getting hurt or getting wrapped up in the baggage. You know, more and more people are saying that they don't have time for a sexual relationship, so they watch pornography to meet that need in their life. It's even advertised as free sex education. Okay? And when I say that, that is a lie which many children and young people are buying into you. Friends, if you are parents here and you are not talking to your children about sex, they are going to go elsewhere to talk about it, and it is likely they're going to end up with pornography. Pornography is not a reality. We have to talk to our children about sex. We have to talk to them about sex as a reality, as a beautiful thing. The reality of porn is the opposite to what it sells us. Okay? Every scientific study shows that the consumption of pornography leads to a massive decrease in relationship and sexual satisfaction. It leads to an increase in infidelity and to a much higher possibility of sexual deviance or crimes. 
every scientific study. Every scientific study done into people who consume pornography says they feel less connected with their partners, they feel less sexually satisfied, they have a higher percentage of infidelity, of cheating on their spouses, they have a higher percentage of erectile dysfunction, sorry to be crude, in all of these spaces, it is proven that porn is not good for us. And yet, the society that we live in accepts it as normal. Porn is also shown to rewire our brain. I want to spend a minute on this because actually, it's not something that is commonly known. Okay? Porn is shown to rewire our brain because the way that our brain responds to pornography is actually a natural process in a God-given design where our brain responds to things that make us feel good. That's a good God-given design, okay? That when we experience something that we feel is good, that our brain gives off a chemical called dopamine, okay? And what starts happening is as that chemical is given off, our brain starts making a pathway between that activity and that feeling. So when we do something that makes us feel good, so, that, so whether that is sports or eating a really good meal or being in love or having sex, our brain gives off dopamine, this makes you feel good, let's do this again. The issue is when you take pornography, which is a perversion of sex, which isn't truly about connectivity, and then you make it, or your brain tricks you into feeling that this is a good thing, then it draws a much and much stronger pathway to that activity where it can become an addiction. The way which people can become addicted to pornography, and people can and do, and there's entire clinics dedicated to relieving people of this addiction, is the same process to how people get addicted to alcohol, illegal drugs, and gambling. There is no difference between the way that people can get addicted. Now, not everyone who watches pornography gets addicted to pornography, just in the same way that not everyone who drinks alcohol or smokes gets addicted to those things. However, it is a risk and is a danger, and people do. Because you then get into the same cycle of addiction, of desire, okay, and then you do the action, there's shame, there's a momentary relief, and then there's shame, which then you want to then satisfy because of the dopamine, because you know, you go, this thing makes me feel good, I feel bad, I feel ashamed, I'm going to redo this thing that makes me feel good, which then gets you straight back into the cycle. And that's, that's what addiction is, is that cycle. And pornography works in the exact same way. It's also been proven that people who consume large amounts of pornography are no longer able to become aroused by normal sexual acts, that's including real people in front of them. There's multiple studies done on this now. And as a result, they have to turn to more and more hardcore images in order to get aroused. The rise of, ch rise of child pornography, there is a direct correlation to addiction in pornography. So the more, more times people view it, the more times that, the more need there is for things like that. Because you can no longer be satisfied by the images in front of you, therefore you have to look for more and more hardcore images in order to get aroused. It is a, it's a psychological process that people go through. Okay. Not everyone gets addicted, but all pornography perverts and distorts God's beautiful design for sex and the way which sex benefits a marriage. There are statistics that show that this is true for the church basically in the same amount that it is for the world. 
So there's research that has been done in, in terms of pornography usage, pornography consumption for people who are anonymous, anonymously part of a church, and they do those research, and they do the same research for people kind of living in society, and the statistics are su- almost the same. There's a little bit less, there is a little bit less, but actually the, the statistics, are, which means that there are going to be people in our churches watching pornography. There's going to be in our pe- people in our churches that are going to be consuming pornography. And as a result, we need to know, one, the impact it has, one, the dangers of it, but also the thing that we've already spoken about, about how God brings freedom from sexual sin. Okay? So I thought it would be useful to be quite vulnerable at this point and to share my story um, with pornography. So I think the first time I viewed a pornographic image was when I was about nine or ten. Um, my dad had got a load of films that he really liked called the Sharps, Sharps Rifle series. I don't know if anyone's watched it. Um, and basically, he told me to watch them, and there was something that we sometimes watched together, um, sort of thing. So I was, I was on my own, kind of one day watching one of these things, about nine or ten. And there came a, a scene where a woman was half naked. First time I'd ever seen anything like that, sort of thing. And I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And actually, I ended up rewinding it and watching it again and again and again, trying to comprehend and understand what was going on. This actually led to, by the age of about 10 or 11, what was, is an, was an addiction, an addiction to pornography, to looking at pornographic images, to trying to find them, to whether that was kind of trying to grab a sun paper from next door and nicking the pastry out of it and shoving it under my bed, or whether that was actually when I got a phone, looking at images online. I was completely absorbed and addicted to that world. And actually, I didn't see it as an addiction because all my mates were doing it. Everyone was doing it. Everyone was talking about it. There was no sense to me where I was going, oh, this is a problem, because everyone around me was doing it, and I was probably doing it a little bit more than them, but everyone was doing it, so it wasn't a big deal. I became a Christian when I was 14 years old, and I was at the age of 14, God completely transformed me and saved me and set me free from so many things. One of the things that I did not get set free from was a total was a, an addiction. One of the things that I had to war with and struggle with and fight through was an addiction to pornographic material, to viewing it and to the results of that that led that kind of led to shame and all that sort of stuff. I did not talk to my youth worker about it. I did not talk to my parents about it. I didn't think I could. And I'm I'm, I'm a pretty open book with almost anyone. Um, and actually, the reality was I still didn't talk to people about it. The last time I looked at a pornographic image deliberately was when I was 18 years old, and it was the week before I went to Bible college. And the, reality, the reason why I want to share that is because actually there is a, a sense where, for some people, God intervenes and he sets them free. And for some people, as in other sins, it's a process of being set free and being set free. And you have to, you, we have to understand that there are people in our churches that are struggling with this as an issue. And that this stuff can still affect our thinking. I was sharing with Rob earlier how actually I realized, so on, my, on our honeymoon, which was about two, mine and Hannah's honeymoon, which was about two years after the last time I looked at a pornographic image, kind of halfway through the honeymoon, I was kind of wrestling a little bit with kind of expectations of what sex would be like and, and stuff. And kind of, I remember just praying in that moment and going, God, I just don't really get what this is about. And God saying, showing me that that was a result of what I'd seen in pornography and being able to then repent and being able to go, God, I'm sorry, I repent of that. Help me to love Hannah properly. And actually, two years on of not seeing anything, and that was still a struggle. That was still something that was, was in my brain and affecting my thinking. 
there is hope. Like the gospel sets people free from pornography. It sets people free from pornography addiction. I'm a living, walking proof of that. That actually that God brings freedom as we come in repentance and that his grace is over us even when we fail and look again when we shouldn't. That God gives and brings that grace into our lives. But we've got to bring it into the light. We've got to bring it into the light. We've got to be able to go, God, this is a thing. And we've got to be able to go to our friends and our family in our churches and go, guys, this is a thing. It is a sin, and I know it's a sin, and I I need help. I want you to pray with me. I want to confess this to you. I want to be free of this. And we get to watch together as Jesus sets people free. Because Jesus is in the business of setting people free from all nature and manner of sexual sin. And actually, we need to talk about pornography because it's a huge part of our culture. And we need to talk about pornography because people are struggling with it. People are watching it. People are trapped in it. And actually, we need to talk about it so that people can be set free. Because God does it, right? He sets us free. And he's good to do it. And he's faithful to do it. And he will do it as we come to him. Now, medically, there's also good news, because you remember that, that brain pathway I was talking about in terms of the dopamine to the action? When you don't do the action, the brain stops making a pathway to it, and it makes pathways to other things. So the good news is that actually, medically speaking, you can stop being addicted to pornography just through stopping viewing it. I mean, you have to consistently not view it for a long period of time, but actually your brain rewires itself again to not have the same reaction, which is a great positive thing. Okay? And there are recovery programs, there is accountability software, that stuff is in the resources as well. If, if you are here tonight and you are struggling with watching pornography, if you are here tonight and you're viewing images and you, you can't seem to get free from it, would you just come and confess it to a brother, to a sister, to someone that you trust and be set free? And as Christians, we need to know that actually, yeah, like this is going on in our churches. Like, let, let, let's, not be, let's not be ignorant of this. There are people, probably friends, family, brothers and sisters who are struggling with pornography, who are dealing with it right now as an issue but don't feel able to come forward with it, who don't feel like they can. So let's show grace. Let's be vulnerable. Let's be open and honest and share how God has set us free. It may not be from pornography. It may not even be from sexual sin. But there is something in your life, a sin and something that God has set you free from. Because otherwise you wouldn't be here. You would not be here without that. And we need to be much more honest about those things in our life. Our struggles and the things that we go through. So that when we say, hey, Jesus can set us free. People go, oh yeah, I know. Because I know that you were set free from this. And that's it's part of what it means to come together in this. Okay? Right, we're going to have last bit of a conversation probably not going to be as long as the other times because we're slightly over. Um, okay, if you want to kind of wave at me, because I get this is a little bit more detailed and a little bit more kind of focused. If you want to wave, if you have got any questions or anything that you want me to answer in that as well. I'm going to put a light on because it's got very dark um, sort of thing. Okay, and then we'll, and then Sai will come up and, and close and pray. Great. If you want to be bringing your conversations to a close. been a, a lot of a lot of information this evening some of it may be new to you some of it may have shocked you some of it 
uh, sadly, may not have shocked you, and you may be uh, uh, just too familiar with those uh, those statistics, uh, which is a very sort of sad state that our society is in. But as you, I think Sam has communicated excellently God's heart on those areas. So let's yeah, let's thank him. It's a uh, so it's be the beginning of our, our series about what about, and so next time we're going to be looking at transgender and gender and transgender and, and those those sorts of issues with a similar format to, uh, this evening, as, uh, with opportunity for us to discuss and to look at how we, as we have this evening, not just look at what the Bible says, but look at how we can uh, try and show God's love and. Uh, and uh, earth it in reality as well. So, yeah, just um, just going to close in prayer. We're slightly over overrun this evening, but there was a lot of information, and it's been absolutely uh, uh, fantastic. And I'm sure you've uh, enjoyed. It sounds like people have had some good conversations and uh, and really got good heart, uh, God's heart on this issue. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you that you love us. Lord God, thank you that you are a God, Lord, who who made sex, Lord God, and you made it for, for good, Lord. When you looked at Adam and Eve, you said, this is, is very good, Lord. And Lord, we just thank you, Lord, that you are a God who uh, has the best for us. You're the one that has life and life in all its fullness, Lord God. And Lord, we just uh, want to say, Lord, we're, we're sorry, Lord God, where we have uh, just uh, avoided talking about things, Lord God, or... or uh, not engaged in conversations in, in culture, Lord God, where actually you have a big thing to say, Lord God. Actually, you have you have real joy to give people, Lord God. You have the best for people. And Lord God, I pray as your people here on earth who will one day enjoy the new heaven and the new earth, Lord God, where heaven is on earth, Lord God. Actually, Lord God, as we come to look at this, this subject of sex, Lord God, I pray you would help us to uh, communicate your truth with the world around us. Lord God, help us to communicate in a, in your truth in a, in a winsome and in a, in a loving way, Lord God, that shows people a better story than they're being shown in the media, Lord God. It gives them a better uh, outlook on it, Lord God, than what society is just reducing sex to, Lord God. And Lord, I pray you'd give us wisdom. I pray for the parents, Lord God, and grandparents in the room, Lord God, that you would give us wisdom at how we talk about this with our children, Lord God, and our grandchildren, Lord God. Help us to have wisdom at how we we model, Lord God, uh, what is godly relations, Lord God, uh, to those around us, Lord God. And Lord, I pray for uh, those, Lord God, who, with our neighbours and our work colleagues and those uh, uh, people that we rub shoulders with, Lord God, help us to just share your truth and to share your heart, Lord God, because thank you that you have the best for them, Lord, and thank you that you love them, Lord God, and your heart is grieved over just the abuse, Lord God, and the misuse of, of sex in our society and how it's become so much less than it was supposed to be, Lord God, and so, Lord, I pray you'd help us as your people, Lord God, to, to show the world a better way, Lord God, your way, Lord God, because your way is the best way. And Lord, I pray you be upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming, everyone. Great to see you here.
We're back here next week at 7.30. And, uh, oh, yes, uh, for, um, uh, for to, to learn more about transgender. If you've got any questions, I've given a piece of paper uh, on your, on your uh, different tables. There's boxes here you can put them in, or you can text it to that number up there. And uh, no one will know it's you because it's on a new phone, a new SIM, so it's not going to get you know, a message from so-and-so. So, yeah, so don't worry about that. If you've got questions, then either, either way, is, uh, you, can, uh, you can communicate them. And on the last evening, this last evening is going to be dedicated to answering the different questions on, on the different topics that we cover over the next four weeks. Thank you for coming. I hope you have a good rest of your week. See most of you on Sunday. <laughs>